Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. 10,000 teachers and not enough fathers. Before we can talk about teachers versus fathers, we've got to talk about uh, really a good, strong, working definition of God the Father. Uh, and how many of you know that in we're, we're in a, and I don't mean this offensively to the incredible men of God who are fathers in the room, but if, if you can look at the horizon for a second, we are in a time of unprecedented fatherlessness. And, uh, and the, the, the side effects are perhaps more easy to see. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we have to know God the Father, regardless of how well you did or didn't know or did or didn't like your father on this earth, your biological earthly dad. We have to know God the Father. And, uh, and so God, we know God the creator. We, in fact, we reference creation a lot in these messages, don't we? A lot of people at this pulpit, they, they grab that, that creation narrative and draw from it. We do. I say that like there's a lot of other people who do it, but it's mostly me. Um, and I, I grab and pull from it because there's so much to learn about heaven in the Garden of Eden. Um, because prior to the fall, prior to sin, prior to brokenness, we, we catch a glimpse of what God wanted in the sense of intimacy and relationship and dialogue uh, and unhindered access uh, to his people. Um, but we've also talked in recent messages about how creation was, uh, was spoken, but when man came to life, what happened? Instead of saying, come to life, he breathed his life into him. And there's a unique thing about mankind in that we were created in his image. And at that moment, God went from creator to procreator. If you don't know the difference, creator is, that, is a product of your imagination. It's a product of your, your creativity. You create something um, that reflects maybe just what you like or what you enjoy, what brings you fulfillment, okay? But procreation is when you recreate a piece of yourself. There's a piece of you in it. And that's why uh, the, the, when he says to Adam and Eve to, you know, uh, multiply, the idea of procreation is that uh, every single living thing would continue to bear the fruit of itself. That was the first time God did that. He became procreator. And in doing so, he was the father. Not necessarily in the sense of all these other created things, but when it came to us, he was father because he created in us a piece of himself and he birthed a, a, a race, a species that would reflect him. I started a book um, called The God Species and uh, it's coming out in um, 2039. So <laughs> just sometime after I retire. It was on my heart for a long time, and the Lord spoke to me and said, uh, I needed to start it um, before I was 30. And so it was literally like the church was a couple years old and four years old-ish, and I was like the week before my 30th birthday, I started writing and uh, put some stuff down, and then I never opened it back up, but I will. So maybe this message will have something to do with it. But anyway, the God species was different than everything else because instead of just being created, we were procreated, sort of... Uh, identifying God as father. 
However, the first mention of the fatherhood of God doesn't happen until Exodus chapter 4. And in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, it's what I just read to you. And I'm going to read it one more time. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is interesting. So, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, 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 the founding fathers, the forefathers, the patriarchs, if you will, they've already come and gone. And now we see the nation of God's people held in bondage, in captivity, in slavery. And it's at this point where God reveals himself as father and talks about himself as a father. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. I think it's important that we understand here that the first time God refers to himself as a father is in the context of freeing his people from slavery. Amen? Now, we know God is spirit, right? God is spirit. We know Jesus came and Jesus was flesh, but God is spirit. That's why he formed us from the dirt and then the part of him, part of us, that's him, was spirit. He breathed that and imparted his spirit into us. So God is spirit. We know that because we know that he's omnipresent, that he's omniscient, that he's transcendent. Uh, anybody in King's Academy uh, sixth grade Bible? No, they all left, didn't they, already? Yeah, that's all right. Um, Sawyer's going over his uh, Bible vocabulary words, and it had a lot to do with the message today, so... Anyway, I was excited for that. So omnipresent, he's everywhere all at once. You can't be that in the flesh. Omniscient, he knows everything. He's all-knowing. You can't do that with your finite mind, right? Transcendent, he's above all. God is spirit, and so the part of us, like him, we are his spiritual children. But I want to make a point here about slavery, And it is this, if you're writing things down, spiritual slavery can only exist where spiritual sonship is not present. Spiritual slavery can only exist where spiritual sonship is not present. Again, God goes out of his way for the very first time. This is after saying, I am, the, the, I just am, right? He's, he, he's revealing himself uh, as, yeah, as a Jehovah God, and we see these, um, these different pictures of him, but it's not until he's pulling his people out of bondage that he says, Israel is my son. And my prayer for you this morning, saints, is that we can do a hard inventory of our lives. And we can take note of the places that are still in bondage and get real enough and vulnerable and transparent enough with ourselves to say, if there is spiritual slavery in a place, it's because spiritual sonship has not found its way there yet. We try to draw a line and say, you know, well, sheep go to heaven and goats go to hell. I think cake wrote that song, didn't they? Yeah, we'll do that one next week. (laughs) Sheep go to heaven, goats. I think it's on a podcast, thanks to Ben DeCastro. Uh, the, The deal is this, and it's so important to get this. The inventory is not of people. It's within each person. 
It's not, well, this side still is in slavery and this side isn't. It's what Ron just came down here and talked about this morning. You may have walked with the Lord for years. And the worst thing about that is that that has created an identity where you're too high to fall from. And so you're too nervous, you're too afraid to be vulnerable about the the bondage that you're still in. And so there's a place in your life that looks more like a slave than a son. My prayer for this message this morning is that the father reveals himself as father even in that area. We don't think of him as father in the places we struggle with. We think of him as father in the places that we're blessed in the places where we, we get our prayers answered. We see him as father in, in all the good stuff because he's a good, good father. But his word says that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance and that, that, he, that he chastises those whom he loves. He disciplines his sons. So in reality, those tough places are perhaps potentially an even greater image of him as father if we'll let them be. Spiritual slavery can only exist where spiritual sonship is not, pre- is not present. Corporate sonship began when Moses went back from this conversation and explained his encounter with the Lord. Not only did he speak to Pharaoh, but word got around. And as it did, and as the mandate was given and, and instructions were given, the mind and heart of Israel became free. How do you know that? Because they responded to the revelation of God the Father. They responded with obedience. How so? They all killed a lamb and painted its blood over their door. Putting on a little weight over the holidays here. You should probably get this chase. I'm just going to stay away from that side. I jumped too much over there. The deal is, is that they responded because before their circumstances changed, their mind and their heart changed. Their minds and their hearts became free. Sonship took place within them. And so I want to make a note about this. They responded in obedience by painting the blood over their doors. The physical manifestation of freedom came later. Ten plagues later. Okay? And then, it was not until then that sonship expanded into their circumstance. If you're writing things down, get this. Sonship is revelation before it is situation. Sonship is revelation before it is situation. Even the things in your life that you can easily point at and say, that's because I'm a child of God. Yeah, I've been blessed. Too blessed to stress or something. Bless this mess, or whatever your T-shirt from Target says. Even those places, they didn't begin with a circumstantial change. They began with a revelation. The situation followed. You with me? The situation followed. When you, when, and, and maybe you got saved really, really young, and so it's a little bit different. Maybe you're a third or fourth generation Christian, and so you, know, you, you came from a Christian who was begat from a Christian who was begat from a Christian. So maybe there's not a lot of brokenness that you can point your finger at and say, well, there was alcoholism until here, or there was addiction, or there was, uh, or there was divorce, or there was uh, fatherlessness, or there was whatever until this point, and then salvation entered my family tree. Maybe, maybe that 
that's harder for you to look at, but I, I'm, I'm committing to you this morning, I'm telling you, that everything that's blessed in your life, every manifestation, every situation that, reveal, that, that is a picture of his goodness, of your sonship and his father's and his fatherhood, started as a revelation. Even right here. See, they didn't have to respond in obedience. Moses could have come back and said, my son Israel needs to be let go. And all these people could have said, yeah, right. If God was really the father, I wouldn't be in this mess to begin with. Anybody said that? And then out of bitterness or saltiness, they end up not painting the blood. And then when the death angel comes through Egypt, there's no differentiation. There's no blood covering. There's no sacrificial lamb to speak righteousness over that home. And so what happens? We end up, we end up dying under all the, the oppression and the weight and the, and the plagues of this world. And if we really are, uh, if we're really going to get real and honest this morning, so many believers have denied the revelation of his fatherhood and have disobeyed the response of sonship. And because of that, there is no blood covering over different aspects of their lives. And so all of those things are out in the cold. They're out to the elements. They're susceptible to all the mess that the world is susceptible to. And I know y'all don't want to hear this. No Christian wants to hear it, but I don't care. I'm going to say it anyway. There's too many people in this church and we need to thin the herd a little bit. You know what I'm saying? You kill some fatted calves. Why? Because, because believers, we have to step up. We have to rise to the occasion of obedience. He has revealed himself as father in the context of your bondage. In the context of your oppression, of your slavery, of your jail cell, wherever it is, whether everybody knows about it or nobody knows about it, and even you're in denial. You're like, well, this jail cell's not so bad. I painted the colors like everything Joanna and Chip Gaines said to. I'm doing kind of like an open floor plan. It's still a six by six cell. You know what I'm saying? Open floor plan. You know, I don't care, you got a Murphy bed, you picked up a little extra space. End of day, you're still in bondage and he's still the father who's called you out. We now have to rise. And over that place, over that issue, over those chains, paint the blood. Speak the blood. Declare the blood of Jesus. Zach, people don't talk about the blood that much anymore. <laughs> I remember I was down visiting with my family and one of my brother-in-laws was like, yeah, we call those vampire songs in the modern, the emerging church, you know, because they're all about the blood and, you know, people get uncomfortable. People get queasy, you know, people are nervous around blood. I'll tell you what, that death angel I saw coming on the horizon, I'd be nervous without it. You know what I'm saying? Too many of us have lost our firstborn. Too many of us have sacrificed. We're more willing to sacrifice the generation that we should be raising than we are to accept the sacrifice that should cover our homes. That's a big problem. Oh. 
we're more willing to sacrifice the generation we're raising than we are to accept the sacrifice that should cover our homes. Thanks, babe. My wife be taking notes. She's working on her afternoon plans, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) She's going to finish my book. I just wrote the prologue. We're more willing to sacrifice the generation we should be raising than we are to accept the sacrifice that should be covering our homes. Okay, let's keep going. So now that we've begun to understand who the Father is, that we've accepted his revelation in reference to our uh, incarceration, if you will, turn with me to Exod, uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians, also chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you in verse 14 of chapter 4, 1 Corinthians. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Interesting, isn't it? Think of that. I know that there's a lot of books and chapters and verses between the last verse we just read and this one, but we're going to talk about fathers this morning for a second. Think of this in context to that jail cell, to that crime, to that rebellion or pride, to that unrepentant sin, to that, to that uh, sin that has not yielded to the father as a son. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors, in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. Okay, so some of your Bibles, uh, they'll translate this differently, but when he says countless tutors, that word countless, it can also literally translate as 10,000. But it was one of those words that would almost be like, um, like a hyperbole. You would use it as an exaggerated statement, like a billion or a million. And what Paul is saying is that you may have countless teachers, 10,000 teachers over the course of your life, but you won't have many fathers. Even in the natural, this is true. We all only have one biological father. And, and maybe your parents, maybe your dad died or your mom got remarried after a divorce or, or, or whatever happened and you have two fathers that were, uh, that were domestic fathers that, that raised you in homes. Whatever that picture looks like, if you look at that in ratio to the number of teachers you have by the time you're an adult, one for every grade until middle school and then one for every subject through high school and then in college, it's multiple for every subject. And then even more for degrees and you have adjunct professors and you have, you're, you're taught from all different sorts of angles and, and perspectives. A thousand, however many it is. But Paul points this out because There was a problem here among the Corinthian church, and I believe that there is a problem that is not dissimilar among believers today. You see, even if you were to have 10,000 teachers, none are as important as a father. But saints, make sure you get this this morning. 
in a vacuum of fathers, the role of influence will be filled by teachers. In a vacuum of fathers, the role of influence will be filled with teachers. I'm going to talk for a few more minutes here, and I want to be very clear. I am not in any way throwing shade on teaching, the teaching gifts. Not just the five-fold teaching gifts, but uh, teachers, like school teachers, like the most underpaid, overworked job in the world. <laughs> Especially now that kids aren't being raised or disciplined. So it's like exponentially harder. And so, yeah, heard that. So this is, this is not in any way, do not misunderstand me. Do not take what I'm saying out of context. It is not that at all. In fact, I believe that the anointing of a teacher thrives when there is order in a pupil's life and that order only happens when fatherhood is restored. In a vacuum of fathers, the role of influence will be filled by teachers. That's why today in America, scholarships and education opportunities are the go-to answer for communities with high crime and high poverty rates. Tragically, these stats won't be sustainably changed until fatherhood is restored among these people groups. Well, let's, let's send them to college for free. Let's get them into private schools. If we could pull them out of public and get them into private, that will solve other issues, lots of issues just to pull kids out from under the oppression of the curriculum in the public sector is like, we've seen, listen, I'm gonna tell you something, quick testimony for Kings. I've talked to parents who have little kids, like under 10, pulled them out of the public after just a few years of public school and put them into private. And halfway through the first semester, I had parents coming to me with tears in their eyes saying, we had no idea. We had no idea. We, our kid has been like, is like a different child because they're not under that. They're not sitting in that every day being indoctrinated by that agenda. And I'm not trying to plug Kings. I don't even know if we have any more room in Kings. There's like you can, two kids, I think we can, two kids. Any takers? Anybody? Yeah, I see a hand in the back. The truth is, though, we can, we can get on our political high horses. I do it. We can talk about how this country's going to hell in a handbasket and all this other stuff. But the exact same thing exists among believers. In a vacuum of spiritual fathers, the role, will, or the role of influence will be filled by teachers. But I'm going to say something to you. And that's this. If you're writing things down, good teachers don't equal good Christians. Good teachers don't equal good Christians. Good teachers equal well-educated Christians. Okay? But good fathers do equal good sons. And good sons equal good students. And good students give teachers a shot. It's systemic. 
You got to go back a couple layers. You can't just say, well, if we could get, listen, and I'll be the first to admit it. As a pastor here, Pastor Kurt and I have sat down to address and confront issues that we've seen as the church has grown. And, uh, and we'll say, oh, that's not as complicated as it seems like. That's just bad teaching, right? How many times have we said, you know, there's like a, some bad theology or there's something, that, you know, that got drug in here from somewhere. And it's like, oh, I, was, I learned that from watching YouTubes or whatever, you know? Well, I learned how to do brain surgery from watching YouTubes, but I wouldn't let me do it on me if I was me, you know? Well, I follow this guy's Instagram, and I've learned a lot of theology from it. Though you have 10,000 teachers, there's more teachers than you can shake a stick at right now. Why? Because there aren't many fathers. There aren't many fathers. Good teachers don't equal good Christians. They equal well-educated Christians still living in prison. Slavery still exists among well-educated educated believers. I've talked to folks who've come in and, you know, about wherever they've come from, wherever they've been, and, and, uh, or even Bible studies here in our church. I'm not trying to say, like, we've got it all figured out here. God, for, <laughs> we do not. But uh, we've had folks come and say, you know, well, this really good teaching in this group or in this study or in this church or from this uh, preacher or whatever. It's good teaching. It's good teaching. It's good teaching. It's good teaching. I've heard, oh, it's a great teacher. You know, he, uh, the, the sermons are recorded and sold on in, in CD series or on, you know, he's got a podcast. And so that means it must be good, right? If it's on the internet. <laughs> I'm on the internet, so that should tell you something. Um, yeah, the point is, is that we've got to be, we've got to, we've got to come back to fatherhood. You heard me talk last week about, um, how this year we're kind of revamping how we're doing small groups and, uh, you're going to, you're going to be hearing more in the weeks and months to come about what we're calling greenhouses and greenhouses are basically, um, a a real intentional effort to create space where the spirit can procreate, where, where life can be cultivated. I can get really deep with this metaphor, so I probably shouldn't. It's not even what I'm preaching on. You're going to hear about greenhouses because we need spiritual fathers. And I think in the past, we've done this thing where we, uh, we, we select a spiritual father until we don't like how they're raising us, and then we divorce that father because the world taught us that we can divorce our parents. And so we divorce ourselves from that, or we run away from home, and we become prodigals without even realizing it. Now, I'm not saying that we haven't had uh, manipulative, abusive um, people who have posed as men and women of God seeking influence over our lives. I know that's a real thing. And I'm not saying by any means that you should go back to those toxic situations at all. Please don't misunderstand me. But the whole, the whole sort of uh, thing the Lord's been showing us, the reason why greenhouses are going to become a thing here is because we all need to come in under that level of covering. Every one of us, every single one of us, we need to be a part being poured into and being poured out. 
being poured into and being poured out. It's radically different. Doing life with a group of people is radically different than showing up for church on a Sunday morning or even showing up for prayer on a Tuesday night. We have a lot of really spiritual people. We have, we have people who are anointed intercessors and have incredible spiritual gifts who want nothing more than to operate in those things. And you would think that any good pastor would say, hey, the floor is yours, do your thing. But the Lord has started to open our nose to the smell of fatherlessness and peel back the layer and say, wait a minute, this isn't just a situation that needs some corrective teaching. This is a situation where fatherhood is missing, where bondage is still present because sonship is not. So you can just make a mental note of greenhouses. We're going to come back to that on another week. Many believers are well-educated, but saints, I'm going to tell you this morning that we don't actually need more education. We need more impartation. Teachers educate, but fathers impart. What's the difference? Teachers guide and lead. Very much needed. Jesus was a teacher. They called him rabbi because he taught the way. He led the way. He guided. In fact, before Christianity was called Christianity, it was called the way. And the way required people who would help people find and follow the way. But the only reason Jesus could be an effective teacher is because the children of God already had an effective father. Without a relationship with the father, the teaching didn't mean a hill of beans. And that's why you have Pharisees sitting under the same teaching, a lot of the same teaching as the disciples were. The Pharisees showed up because that was part of their system was showing up. If there was a speaker, if there was an evangelist in town, if there was a, a, a preacher out in the park, if there was a, a teacher teaching in the synagogue, they all showed up. We've got to know what's going on here. We've got to be able to judge this guy and tell everybody why he's wrong. So let's make sure we're here for it. All the phone calls, the emails went out. You know who's speaking tomorrow at church. <laughs> that guy that heals on the Sabbath. Let's go. Okay. Pitchforks and torches. Let's go. The only reason why education had any effect in a positive sense is because impartation had already taken place. Again, teachers educate, but fathers impart. What's the difference? Because while teaching is guiding and leading and showing Imparting is giving a piece of oneself. Giving a piece of oneself. A lot of the reason why educators today are so burnt out, are so absolutely fried, the reason why they're 27 years old, full gray head, full gray hair at 27, because <laughs> they have your kids. Just kidding. Don't clap for that. Why are teachers getting burnt out? Why are they so stressed out? Why are they living life in dog years like they're in ministry or something? Because they have been held to a standard of impartation that should be the role of the spiritual parents in the children's lives. And so they're in there cutting off a pound of flesh, trying to sacrifice themselves to raise kids instead of just teach them. 
because kids are coming in starving for order. And teachers weren't meant to bring order. They were meant to lead and guide children in the way they should go, not in part of themselves. There is a difference. And I know that sounds like semantics. It's not. Just get over that and figure it out, what I'm saying. Don't be dumb. You know what I'm talking about. Let's stand together. You guys have heard a lot of, um, you guys have heard a lot of my heart on the five-fold ministry. And you've heard, uh, you've heard of my sort of adherence to, uh, was it Chris Valentin, Danny Silk, these guys, uh, a lot of these guys out of Bethel who are writing uh, about the apostolic. And, and you've heard sort of my conviction about the American church and how it has chosen to be led by pastors because of how it makes us feel. But my concern is that in an effort to swing the pendulum the other way, to move away from feeling and emotion. See, if you seek with emotion, you'll be pastored. But if you seek with your mind, you'll be taught. If you seek with your spirit, you'll be fathered. And so uh, uh, a nation that is led by its women, because men aren't the priests of their homes the way they should be, so a nation and a church that's led by women will seek to be pastored. And it has rendered the church well-pastored, but out of order. Well-pastored well-mothered, but not fathered. And so as men of God and men of logic and men of reason, and if you've listened to our podcast, men who are like waffles with definable compartments, (laughs) if we seek the Lord in an effort to balance, to right the ship, if we seek the Lord with our minds solely, which we will. In New England, that, that, this is it. This is epidemic. And we ought to seek him with all of our heart and all of our mind. But saints, the problem is, is that if it does not build on top of a foundation of a spiritual pursuit of the fatherhood of God, it's all for naught. The ship can go this way. The ship can go that way. But without that foundation, it's going down. It might be really well balanced, sinking right to the bottom of the ocean. We need fathers. We need fathers. We need fathers. You can go online and find a thousand teachers, 10,000 teachers. I know so many people who have tried to, who have tried to fill the void by, by signing up for a program. Let me get my certificate. Let me do, you know, I, I did get, I got ordained through an online program. But who is your father? 
That's what I love so much about apostolic movements. Historically, apostolic movements, you don't get ordained because you got enough questions right on a test. You get ordained when a spiritual father says, yes, I have imparted and now I see some of myself in you. The part that God put in me. Paul says, be imitators of me. That sounds like a bold statement, doesn't it? I'm not really telling a lot of people to be imitators of me. To be honest with you, I still see a lot of jacked up stuff in me. But I see the hand of God as well. And what my prayer is, is that I'm not imparting, I'm not imparting the spiritual fathers in this room, the spiritual fathers in this body, the spiritual leadership, the moms and dads in the context of these greenhouses from the outside may look like a normal home group, like a Bible study, like a living room get together. Spend some time in the word, spend some time in fellowship, spend some time breaking bread and, and, and hearing what's going on in each other's lives. Do some one-offs, a little bit of counseling, a little bit of just, yeah, sure, still teaching, still pastoring. But in order, the order that the Lord calls for, built on a foundation of sonship, sonship evicting slavery. Listen, let's do this first. If you're in here this morning and you'd say, Zach, I didn't get past the first point because there still is stuff. There still are chains. There still is bondage. There still is a jail cell. And while 80% of me looks free, there's a 20% that only a few people know about or maybe nobody does. But that 20% has not yet surrendered to the fatherhood of God. It is not yet submitted. It has not yet obeyed in sonship. And I need the blood of Jesus over that thing. If that's you, step out of your seat and meet me down here right now. Everybody in this room. Jesus, Jesus. I want to give you a second because this is, this is the most important thing. This is where it happens. And I know some of us, we, we wrestle with this because it's like, well, I got saved. I gave my heart to the Lord. Hear that? We've even marketed it that way. Give your heart to Jesus. You know who marketed it that way? A generation that makes decisions based on feeling. I got goosebumps, so I should respond. Help us, Lord. Anybody else in here this morning? Sonship sound good to you? Get over your pride. You know, I'm already not talking nice to you this morning, so just get over it. This is more important than another nice talk. You don't need that. Fathers who love their kids don't just talk nice to them all the time. Lord, I pray over your children at this altar this morning. 
God, I pray that as inventory is taken, Lord, that that slavery would be evicted and eradicated. Yes, sir. Bondage would be loosed in the name of Jesus. You say if we bind it on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And so in adherence with what you have spoken, the freedom for which you have set us free, we come today as daughters and sons. And Lord, we speak not yet over the circumstance, over the situation. We speak over the revelation first that it would settle into the depths of our souls and that there would be a response in the form of accepting the blood of the Lamb over our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our lives, our marriages, our homes, God, our finances, our occupations, our callings, our ministries, our struggles and strongholds. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over everything, over every facet and aspect of who we are, We declare the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of that lamb over our lives. We take back, Lord, the sons that death has devoured. We take back today, God, that which has fallen prey to the the plagues of this world, the plagues under which we were never meant to be susceptible or succumb to. We speak sonship. There's a woman in here this morning who I was speaking to years ago, and she was wrestling. She was wrestling with her daughter in the sense of of not being able to lead her and guide her well. Wrestling with feeling like she had poured in a bunch of truth into her daughter's life and hadn't seen the results of it. And as I was listening to her heart break, the Lord just spoke to me. And so I just said it right to her. You can't be a mother until you learn how to be a daughter. It all comes back to fatherhood. Because a fatherless people will impart fatherlessness even as a dad, even as I, I will, if, if I'm not submitted to the spirit, I will teach and shepherd and do everything I can to raise my kids, but will subconsciously, unintentionally impart a spirit of fatherlessness. If I'm not yielded to the father, we cannot be dads until we are sons. Lord, help us. And just before anybody slips out, I wonder, I wonder if there is anybody in here and you'd say, okay, my situation has started to reflect the revelation. The Lord is beginning to be manifest in my life, in my home. I'm starting to see his hand at work. but I need, I need to make this change. I'm one of those well-taught Christians. I'm one of those people that's taken every Bible study twice. I've read the Bible through in a year, for every year for the last five years or whatever. 
I pay attention to every sermon. I take notes every time. I'm a star student, but a sorry son. I need to come back into that order. If that's you, step out of your seat and meet me down here because the Lord wants to reveal himself as father. I've been that way. I've been that way. I'm that guy. The Lord has to convict the pants off of me. I remember in Bible school, I remember Jim Galvin in Bible school went to a a CBD, uh, not that kind of CBD. He went to a uh, Christian book distributor sale. He went to a Christian book distributor sale and he bought like everything. He bought like volumes and volumes of commentaries and, and, and theological expositories and, and, uh, everything under the sun from the fathers to the modern stuff and everything in between. And he, he cleaned house and brought it back to his dorm room and put it all on his shelf and the Lord convicted him. You don't need any of this. You need to know me as your father. And then he had to take it all back. <laughs> and unfortunately, those sales are final. You know what I'm saying? It's like a, it was one of those outlet ones where that's where I got my Bible. Same sale. I wonder how many of us have all sorts of Christian books. I wonder how many of us, we, we've, we've, we've lined the bookshelves of our mind with everything in the world about God. But we are living in a time right now, saints, when what you know will be outpaced by who you are. For such a time as this, this is the season, this is the hour when what you know will be outpaced by who you are. It's still important. It still needs to be there. We need well-taught Christians. That's why we've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars into Christian education from K all the way through a college-level program. And I tell everybody to go and be a part of it. As long as you're a son. As long as you're a daughter. If we're not sons and daughters, all that stuff ends up causing more harm than it does good. anybody else in here this morning you say I need this stuff to go not just from my head to my heart or my heart to my head I need it to go down deep in the seat of my spirit it's got to get real in here let's pray Lord Jesus we just thank you this morning we thank you for who you are God, that this whole thing with you is not just about what we know, but it's about who we are. Lord, your your attribute is omniscience. The only important thing that we know at the end of the day is you. That we know you because when we know you, we'll know your heart. And when we know your heart, we'll know the gospel. And when we know the gospel, we'll know salvation. And when we know salvation, we'll know and understand calling 
and anointing and commissioning and destiny and purpose and all of these other things that we cannot find in a textbook. Lord, I thank you for stockpiling well-taught believers in this house. I thank you for the caliber of the investment that folks have have given to knowing and being well-taught and studying to show themselves approved. But Lord, I thank you this morning that that studying is not to be approved by you. That approval only comes through Jesus. But it's so that we can effectively communicate and teach and preach your word. So Father, this morning I pray for that childlike faith to flood this room. We ask, Lord, for the spirit of sonship to fill our hearts. God, forgive us when we're hearing about greenhouses and all we can think is maybe this is another opportunity for me to lead. Maybe this is a place where I can can father some people. We're not looking for good fathers. We're looking for good sons. Because good sons make good fathers. Lord, I pray over this room this morning. Help us. Lord, help us to, to stop negotiating with you logically and reasoningly. God, but that we would come back to the submission and obedience of daughters and sons. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.